Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books beach tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little um, thing of sun lotion. So go to pageonebooks.com, page one with a number one, so page number one books.com, and check out my page one book summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. (laughs) Pageonebooks.com. Hey everyone, I am so excited, but I'm trying something new this week. I'm doing a July book blast. So I'm releasing a ton of episodes for 10 days in July for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of these are books that came out during the quarantine and talk about the quarantine and are very timely, and I don't want them sitting around for too long. These authors deserve to have their books out there. So I had a little bit of a backlog, and I want to get them out so you can enjoy them. And the second reason is 
because a lot of these are great books to read in the summer, and I didn't want to start releasing these episodes in September when there's less time to read. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there'll be more time to read if school actually starts. Anyway, this is your July book blast, and today is the first day of the book blast, and I'm calling this Memoir Mondays. So today you're going to hear from some of my favorite recent memoirists about their books, and I really hope you enjoy every one of them. I had the pleasure of interviewing Jason B. Rosenthal, who is an author, foundation board chair, public speaker, and lawyer. He is the subject of an essay written by his wife, Amy Krauss Rosenthal, called You May Want to Marry My Husband, that went viral and was read by millions of readers worldwide. It was in the Modern Love column of the New York Times. His first book, written in collaboration with his daughter, Paris, was called Dear Boy, and it debuted on the New York Times bestseller list as a number one. His response to Amy's piece was titled, My Wife Said You May Want to Marry Me, and it was published in the Modern Love column in 2018, and that was the inspiration for this book. Amy died of ovarian cancer just 10 days after her article appeared in the Modern Love column, and when she passed away after 26 years of marriage, Jason had to confront his pain and reevaluate his life's work, and now he speaks publicly and writes about issues related to processing grief and finding hope and joy amongst the pain. His website says his future is a blank space waiting to be filled. Anyway, please listen to this love story of Jason's and his wife, Amy's. Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. I was so excited when your book arrived, I have to say. And I knew it would be like heartbreaking in a way, but also I just like, it was one of those books where I was like, I'm pushing everything else to the side so I can read this one immediately. And it's the colors, the image, the story, the whole thing. Anyway, and it didn't disappoint. So thank you no, for that. Thank you. <laughs> no, you're welcome. And thanks for saying that. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. So your story with your, what do I say? Former wife. I don't want to say former wife. It sounds like you're divorced. You're, <laughs> you're what do you say? It's tricky. Yeah, you can say wife. It's totally okay. acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Amy's article in the New York Times. Let's start with that. That's perfect. Okay. Basically put you on the market for every woman out there after (laughs) she was going to pass away. It was her gift in a way to you. And one of many, you depicted her generous spirit and just how amazing a woman she was so well in, in this memoir. And that sort of propelled you into a position of visibility that perhaps you hadn't anticipated afterwards. So, and now of course it's like resulted in this book and all the rest. So I just was hoping to hear from you and you were so open and wonderful in the book. So thank you on behalf of everybody reading it for being so open and helping so many people by sharing your experience. But tell me about how you took this experience and turned all of it into a book. That's a big question, but just... That's a big one. Yeah. Well, I mean... So we could just talk about that. That'll be your only question. Okay. That sounds good. Well, no, I, I, you know, I knew Amy wanted to finish this one last project that she was writing as she was terminally ill and was a physical struggle for her to even get through that last final piece. And I did not know what it was about until after it was done. My, My daughter apparently knew, which I didn't know until recently, by the way. And then, you know, of course, I gave her my blessing to have it published. I I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with it. And of course, I never anticipated in a million years the incredible viral nature of it and the response that I got on behalf of the family and to me personally and on behalf of my kids. And I mean, it was just really, really remarkable. At the same time, it was at a period, of course, when we were super focused on, on Amy and her final days, you know. And so it was very confusing, I guess, is the right way to put it. Uh, On the one hand, there was this celebratory nature of 
what an incredible tribute to Amy to have this piece published and so widely accepted and, and praised. But we were focused on her final days of life. And so it wasn't until much, much later, and I mean months, you know, that I was really able to appreciate the tremendous outpouring of love and support that I got as a result of this piece being so viral. You know, I started to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more, thousands of, of, of letters, emails and physical letters and trinkets and pieces of art and medical advice and all kinds of things that I just sort of put to the side till I was in a better position to really appreciate them. And then you wrote a rebuttal piece basically a while later. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was actually in between that I was asked to give a TED talk and that was in April of 2018. And that really gave me the courage to continue to speak about my experience because you know, I immediately, and I mean literally right after I got done with that talk, was inundated with people responding to me in such a positive way for speaking candidly about our love story and about loss and about the end of life, you know, because people sort of don't talk about those topics, considering it taboo. And then, yes, in, in June, Father's Day of that same year, I wrote a response, Modern Love column, to Amy's piece that is of course the same title as my memoir. It gave me that you know public space to have a publisher come to me and ask me to write the book. So, so that's why you did it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I did it because between those two things, between writing the book and my TED talk, I continued to speak literally all over the world about these topics and was so rewarded with all the responses and the people who spoke to me about really intimate things going on in their lives and wanting to connect with me on the topic of loss. And I knew that I had something to say. Oh, that's so nice. And you did. And it wasn't, I actually wouldn't even say this was a memoir about loss. This was a lot about your relationship. And I know you put it in different sections and you didn't structure it as such, right? Like the last section was kind of your empty space to play with that. But it was so much just about a marriage and even stuff not that it's as taboo necessarily as talking about end of life, but a lot of people don't talk about the ins and outs of their marriage to begin with, right? It's something considered so private, or you can chit-chat about it, but then there's a lot you don't talk about. But here you talk about a lot of it. So what was it like having it? What was it like sort of going back and revisiting it and trying to put it down on the page? Painful? Rewarding? Like, what, what did it feel like? Yeah, I mean, what I realized in writing this book was that repeatedly people wanted to know who who were these two people that were the subject of this story, you know? And the incredible thing that we had together throughout the course of our marriage was this really, really fantastic relationship. And I felt like that was important to talk about is sort of lay the foundation for who these people were. And I mean, it was very rewarding. You know, what I did in, in starting to figure out how to structure the book was I almost treated it like a journalist would treat a nonfiction piece, even though it was about my own life. You know, I went back down into the basement, into the crawl space and pulled out all of these things that, that families keep, you know, throughout the course of, a, of the raising children and stuff. Everything from the silly artwork in junior kindergarten to, you know, letters that we exchanged at anniversaries and things like that. And one of the things I found that people are really being drawn to is this list that I found, which is called Amy and Jason Rosenthal's Marriage Goals and Ideas. And it became a thread throughout the book 
with my editor's help, you know, because that document, even though we weren't so conscious of it, was something that we really did live by, even though we, it was written on our honeymoon. I didn't, I did nothing productive on my honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've had two because I'm remarried, but yeah, I, I mean, I should have done a list. Maybe I would have had one. <laughs> anyway. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I got a slice of what it was like to live with a writer and Amy in particular, who was quite a list maker. And yeah, like I said, that that really was sort of like a blueprint for our lives, but subconsciously in a way. Yeah, I couldn't believe when I read that that and that so many of the things you really did act on. I mean, it's impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive. I was like, I should be recording my kids' voices. I should be doing all these things too. Oh my gosh, is it too late? Should I, you know, a lot of these aren't even about, I mean, obviously they're about relationships, but they're also just like parenting or life in general or things you can do at any stage, not necessarily with your partner, but anyway, still. That's true. <laughs> and I loved how you put so many little bits and pieces of multimedia essentially inside the book, right? Like art and newspaper excerpts and like the phone number where you wrote her number the first time. I can't believe you still have that. That's so sweet. I mean, it's just like, it's like almost like reading your your journal where you like your scrapbook, almost, like you keep posting that. It's just the sweet, I mean, it's just such a lovely tribute. Thank I mean, you so much. Yeah, I... I was a pretty private person before all of this, you know, like if you were to Google Jason B. Rosenthal before all this happened, you wouldn't find anything really. <laughs> you know, maybe my office address downtown, but that was about it. And so, yeah, I took a leap here, of course, and opening up my life in a way that it had already been widely opened up by Amy and, and, and had a spotlight sort of focused on me. But I really felt it was important. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. And I know you talked about in your book how the people you work with in your law career were very understanding and would do anything and would pitch in and everything for you. But do you feel like now that all the interior monologues and personal life and like your your life being out there has affected your other like professional life? Like did everything kind of meld or have you always been the type of person who's really open at work about everything? You know what I mean? No, for sure. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, it opened me up in a big way, but you know what, one of the fallouts of this whole transition in my life has been my, my professional career. You know, I've really focused much more on other things than practicing law. And, you know, that's what I talk about, like you alluded to in this, in the third part of the book. I wouldn't say it was a fallout. I mean, you're not like a professional failure now. You're just, you've like pivoted a bit, right? I mean, I don't know. Excellent way to put it. Of course not. No, okay. yes, yes, yes. It was, it, was a, it was a 180 that I think I was really open to and probably looking for for a longer period of time than I realized. And I talk a little bit about my angst and my anxiety in the book about, you know, my professional life. For a long time. And there was, you know, even where there was a stretch of time where you were going to have to commute to Florida and you were talking about how there was obviously a financial cost to that decision. And you just decided like, well, there's no price I'd rather pay. Like, this is it. So I feel like it, it was like this level of clarity perhaps that was, that a trauma like this, a loss of someone you love so much can open up. That's a great way to put it. That's really true. Yeah. And you wrote also so heartbreakingly about even just the immediate aftermath of losing Amy. Can I read this first paragraph, if that's okay? It's it's from chapter 11, Empty Not Nest, because also listeners should know you, it was like the day you should have been empty nesters that the diagnosis essentially began. And you obviously had to, you went in a different direction. You hear about it, you read about it, you see movies about it, you anticipate it over and over and over again, trying to brace yourself. But it turns out that nothing you do prepares you for the intensity of the emotional explosion that slams into you when your loved one takes her final breath. It was more complicated than I'd expected. I knew I'd be decimated. I knew I'd be lonely, vulnerable, empty, and grief-stricken. I knew I'd be indescribably sad. Turns out that is pretty much accurate. And then some. Oh. That's really true. Yeah. So when you're talking now to other people who have experienced loss, what are some of the things that you think they are finding most helpful? Like, what are you giving them that they so desperately need? What are they getting from what you're sharing, do you think? Like, what do they keep telling you? Yeah, well, I mean, I thought, okay, I would be, I would relate to other people who are spouses who, who've been in a long-term marriage who lost their partners, you know. But as it turns out, really just speaking openly about loss, which in my case was that example, has made other people relate to me, whether the issues are everything from losing a, a, a long family pet to losing a job or going through a divorce or, you know, hitting rock bottom, all these different forms of loss, which I didn't know would be something that people would relate to through my story. But that's really what it's been. It's been people just needing, I would say is the word, to share a little bit about their loss. And because I'm open and I talk about it, they are comfortable talking about it with me. So, you know, part of my message is that it's most likely that any room that you're in 
you know, if you do open up a little bit about your own loss, that someone is going to have a shared story of loss, you know, and it's not only about end of life. It's about all those things I just mentioned. And as hard as it is to begin talking that way, I think that you will find just a deeper connection with people by being open and talking about it. I went through a period of time in my own life about 20 years ago where I lost five people who were all very close to me within a year. And I feel like since that time, I have this like extrasensory ability to like pick out who's had, who's sustained loss. Like I can like feel, feel it or something. And mm. I have no, I am always like not eager to talk about it. That sounds weird, but just like open and ready to talk about it. Cause I feel like so many people are very uncomfortable and they don't know how, I mean, you gave examples in your book of the guy friend who like walked right by you on the street and like yeah. you gave some good examples of how people can actually help. Cause I, yeah. I do feel like until you've had, a loss, you don't really know what to do. And anyway, I, I do feel like once you're in this unfortunate club that most people at some point are going to be a member of, you, you know, I don't know. It just opens up another level of interaction between people. So, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm really so sorry for, for that, you, you know, that you had to go through that. As you can tell, I sort of had that same you know, pile up, if you will, over two years. And yeah. And it, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Uh, I should have started this whole thing by saying how no. sorry I am for your loss and everything. I mean, I just, I'm truly, truly sorry. And your dad and your dog. And I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It's just, it was just so much that you had to like shoulder all at the same time. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're writing this book and it sounds like you had help from your editor, which is so useful. I mean, I feel like, having to produce a project like that, like anything. I mean, most writers need the little, <laughs> any sort of help is great, but oh, yeah. How, yeah. tell me about like what the process was like for you. Like, did you have a place you went? Did you structure your time? Did you have a daily writing goals? Like what was your whole, how did you do it? Yeah, it was super intimidating, of course, not just because I'd never done it before in that exact way. I mean, I wrote a book with my, my daughter called Dear Boy that was a, a picture book a lot less words, but, you know, and also I lived with this incredible, incredible writer who was so prolific. So a lot of that was very, very intimidating. And then of course, the personal nature of all of it and opening up and all of those things. And then I had a really short window of time to get this done. And so it did become my full-time job. And the, I would, you know, post up here at my house and, and spend hours writing, or I would purposely go out to a coffee shop and, 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 put some headphones on and write, or sometimes I would even, you know, get lost in my office and close the door and just really hunker down and, and work there. So it was really more of finding large chunks of time to set aside to write. You know, it wasn't a specific routine every day. And how involved were your kids? I know in the end you included like this beautiful piece from your son after you became, well, I won't say anything more. Anyway, but did they read it? Like, how did they feel about it? Did you share it with them as you went? How did they feel about the idea of you writing it to begin with? That's a good question. No, I did not share it as I went along, but when I was done, it was important for me to sort of get their clearance, if you will, you know, just to make sure that I was not saying anything that they would be uncomfortable with or perhaps not talking about someone enough or, you know, whatever it was. I wanted them to be okay with, with the words contained in this book, first of all. And yeah, so I, I mean, they gave me some good feedback, definitely. <laughs> and that, that was it to the extent that they were involved, yeah. 
Well, you did a really nice job too. I mean, obviously I don't know your kids, so I can't say it's an accurate job, but you certainly created them as characters in this book, like very vividly. So I feel like I want to like take Paris out to coffee or something now after you wrote about her. But anyway, (laughs) so. She's definitely someone who would be fun to do that with. She's quite (laughs) incredible. So having written this book and now putting a new piece of yourself out there, like what would you like to come next? Like, do you want to keep speaking, like what's your goal or do you want to at some point say like, I don't want to talk about this anymore? Like what, what has been the most fulfilling for you? Like what do you want to do going forward? It's a good question. Whenever normalcy will resume, we don't know, right? It's been such a strange time to have all of this happen for me and, and for the world, you know, not just selfishly for me, but it's been a very difficult time to have a book released and a book of, of such a personal nature. But I don't really know, you know, that proverbial blank space is still with me and something I'd like to fill. I would like to continue talking about these topics. I think they're really important. And I've met so many people and learned so much by delving into these issues. In terms of the next professional phase of my life, I really just don't know yet. I'm not sure. I think you should have a podcast. Do you have one and I didn't know about it? Or anything? I don't. Okay. No, I don't. You should do that next, if you want. <laughs> Sounds I think great. you'd be really good at it. I think, oh, uh, thank you. you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Claire Bidwell-Smith. She wrote a really fantastic memoir called The Rules of Inheritance and then a couple other books on grief. She's a grief counselor now. Anyway, I just realized she has a podcast. It's called Sunday Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. But I think that conversations like these and the way you're able to relate to people. I don't know. Not that you're looking for something to do or that you need my <laughs> advice, but I like to give everybody advice unsolicited, which is like a you know a flaw of my own. So anyway, that's my two cents. Well, stay tuned. Who knows? Who you knows? Know? Yeah. We'll see. I'm sure you have the world at, you your, that, at your yeah. feet. <laughs> like looking back, is there anything that you wish you had done differently or that you would tell people who are maybe not appreciating their spouse enough in the current moment? to pay attention to or anything like that? Well, I mean, what I did learn, unfortunately from, you know, losing Amy and my partner in life, you know, was that as cliche as it sounds, right? We were born and we know for sure we're going to die and we don't know when that ending is going to come, you know? And so I think my best advice would be to really try as best you can to appreciate the small moments in life you know, and appreciate that this may not go on for so long, you know, and whether that's by, you know, changing what you do professionally or meditating or reading more or whatever it is, you know, bring, bring something into your life that's going to give you meaning and you will be a better partner along the way by doing that. Do you have advice for aspiring authors having gotten this book into the world? Oh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to to write, you know, and to and to have a, a disciplined practice of writing. Uh, my circumstances were certainly a little bit different, but I think spending some time every day writing is what's most important and getting that muscle, you know, into shape. And there's so many ways that you can express yourself now, whether it is in a book or if it's on a blog or online or, you know, in an essay. And so, yeah, that would be my best advice is just to just to do it. Did you get any sort of like a writing bug after this? Like, do you still write or are you like, that was great, but now I finished that, so I'm done? You know, I've written a few pieces and I've just done them for myself and maybe they'll get placed somewhere, maybe they won't. You know, this environment is so unique, like we've just touched upon. Now, if you don't fit into like a little niche, you may not get published right now. But yeah, I think maybe I I have. 
Yeah. I have an online magazine if you have if you want to submit. <laughs> Seriously. If you're looking, I know it's not the New York Times, but that sounds great. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Well, we will stay in touch for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of your time and for sharing your story and for being so open. I feel like it's kind of rare for men to be this open, honestly, and it's so appreciated as you can tell by the reception of it. So, I'm truly sorry that you had to go through this loss and Yet I'm happy for you that you had such an amazing marriage. That's a real gift. Not that it makes it any better, but anyway, thank you for sharing all your all your. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and thanks for your feedback on the book and for having me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, thank you. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed listening to one of the amazing memoirists on my Memoir Monday, part of my July book blast. And this is a really special collection of podcasts, and I really hope you enjoyed it. So please keep listening to more. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.